0: If you would turn me in your Bibles to Psalm 23, Psalm 23. This is probably the most well-known section of Scripture in the Bible. And as you're turning, I want to I share a, a youthful complaint and give us a definition. So as many of you know, I was not raised in a Christian home, and I came to faith in Christ in about the ninth grade. And I can remember people coming up to me and saying, You just need to have faith. And I'm thinking, What are you talking about? Is that like some kind it's like you add protein to your milkshake? How what does it mean just you need to have a little more faith? But I love the Westminster Confession. It gives a great three word definition of faith accepting, receiving, and resting. And it's that last word that I really want to key in on today, this idea of resting. So as we we open our text and pray, let's keep our sermon in a sentence in mind this morning. We find rest in the Lord. We rest in the Lord. Let's pray and we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father. You have given us such a wonderful gift in your word and I pray that in these next 25 to 30 minutes you would fix our eyes on the truths revealed in this word. That they would not remain simply in our eyes but you would write them on the walls of our heart that they may be a treasure and a storehouse for us to bring out in the days and weeks and months ahead. Father, I pray that you would strengthen and encourage us, that you would give us ears to hear the wonderful things you have for us. It's in Christ's name I ask these things. Amen. Amen. We're going to read Psalm 23, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And thus ends the reading of God's word this morning. I don't know who I in here I was reminiscing with this week, but I remembered that when I was little, we had a garden and I stayed with my grandparents a lot during the summer. And we would pick purple, purple whole peas and we would pick butter beans. And if we did not get done shelling them by 11 o'clock, we had to move inside because Mama had to watch her soaps. She could not miss her soaps. And one of them that she watched was The young and the restless. The fact is, that was when I was about six. And I can remember being home from school one day, and I was about 16, and it was on, and guess what? The same people were still there. They weren't young anymore, but they were still restless. And the fact is, in our own life, we find ourselves in the same way. That pain and suffering should not be the part and parcel of this world. That every time a blip comes on the TV and we see the words COVID-19, or we go to the grocery store and people are wearing masks and gloves, we get this eerie feeling that this should not be our new normal. That things aren't supposed to be this way. That we find ourselves both young, old, and restless. Times haven't changed, have they? David was once young and restless, and he was once old and restless. And in this psalm, he talks about the fear of death. He talks about the fear of man. He talks about lack. He talks about provision. This psalm seems very cute and very quaint, but it addresses some deep concerns in our life. It addresses the issue, where will we find rest? this morning. So I want to tackle that idea that we rest in the Lord. And we're just going to talk about two words, provision and protection. Provision and protection. Now, as we think about this idea of provision, if you come to my house after you've taken a Lysol bath and you go to Zoe's room, she's got a whole collection of those little little golden books, if you remember and one of them is Psalm 23. And if you look on the front cover, it's a young David, and he looks so cheerful, and he's on the side of a, of a green, luscious hill, and he's playing the flute or the, the harp, and there's little sheep everywhere. And it's just this cute and quaint picture, isn't it? But it's only a half-truth. You see, the word shepherd is really a loaded term in Israel. When David says, The Lord is my shepherd, David isn't saying, The Lord is the president of the shepherding union. The Psalms will apply to David the term that David is the shepherd of Israel. That's a way of saying that David is the king of Israel. And think about what shepherds do they strengthen the weak, they heal the sick, they bind up the injured. They bring back the lost and the strayed. That shepherds don't rule with harshness, but they guide with tenderness and affection. In a word, they shepherd the flock. And we see David, the shepherd, the king of Israel, doing the same thing. Does everybody remembers Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son that because of an accident, he was lame. Now in our society... You know, you see someone coming up in a wheelchair and everybody moves out of the way. Sometimes it's because we want to give them space, but other times it's because we really don't have anything to say to them. And we see this everywhere, that people that are disabled or with diseases, we we keep six feet from us or, or something of this matter. But what does David do? He takes the weakest, lowliest sheep in the flock, and lets him eat at his table. The, the most injured sheep eats at the table of the shepherd. Now I want you to read verse 1 again. The Lord is my shepherd. David could have said the Lord is king. The Lord is judge. The Lord is creator. But he says the Lord is my shepherd. The shepherd that cares for the weak. And the afflicted, the shepherd that brings home the lost and the strayed, the Lord is my shepherd. Do you feel the tenderness in what he's saying? Calvin says that the God who will stoop so low for us must bear an even stronger love for us. And truly, if we are sheep and he is our shepherd, he has shown a great love for us. And look at it. The Lord provides us with times of refreshing. He provides us with times of refreshing. It says that He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, you have to understand, Israel is not like Hines County. If you fell off a turnip truck in Hines County yesterday, you probably got off in Mojo Yard because that's the time of the year we're in. But in Israel... There wasn't just grass everywhere. You had to find lush, green pasture. The shepherd had to know the lay of the land in order to get the sheep to it. This took a lot of skill. This took a lot of wisdom. This took a lot of trust. The sheep had to rest in the fact that the shepherd knew where to take them. But not only does he give them green pastures, but he gives them still waters. If you're reading in the ESV, there's going to be a footnote and it's going to say, waters of rest. That's a much better way of saying it. If you look in the Bible, rest is everywhere. If you look in the beginning of Genesis, our Bible say that God placed Adam in the garden. But that's not, in, the more literal translation is that God rested Adam in the garden. Now, y'all understand what that means. If you put your child to bed at night, you don't just flop them into bed, do you? No. You gently rest them into bed. It's a tenderness. We see the same thing in Genesis 6. The world's full of sin and chaos and misery, and the people are looking for one thing rest. And a boy is born, and his name is Noah. And guess what the word Noah means? Comfort, rest. That when the water was covered in a flood, God rested the ship on top of the mountain. That when they were in a house of bondage in a land of slavery, God brought them out and he gave them a Sabbath. What's that? A day of rest. And he promised to take them into a promised land that will give them rest. And each and every one of these situations We see that what God is doing is just what David says. He restores my soul. He is restoring them. But not only does the Lord provide us with times of refreshing, the Lord provides us with times of adversity. You see, the shepherd didn't always take the first GPS route to the the pasture. He took the route that was best. He took the route that was best. And God, in leading us, takes us in the route that will give him the most glory, and it will be for our good. We see this, don't we? Before Adam is rested in the garden, you have a formless, chaotic world. Before the ship is rested on the mountain, you have a world covered in a flood. Before Israel finds rest in the garden, I mean rest in the promised land, they have to go through the wilderness. Then in each and every time, there's times of adversity and there's times of refreshing. And we see this in the life of Jesus Christ. William William Plummer says that Jesus was hungry and yet he never turned the stones to bread. That Jesus was poor but never found wanting. That Jesus endured the shame of the cross but he counted it all joy. What is How do all these things work together? It's not that he puts his stock in times of refreshing or times of adversity, but he says, my father is with me. In our lives, we will have times of both. It's not that we should sit home and put tally marks and see which one weighs out the other. The most important thing is not the time, but the shepherd. That the Lord is my Shepherd, he leads me, and he never leaves me. If you look on the news, you will see chaotic situations, but I want you to just slow down and look at the people, and you will see children asleep in absolutely chaotic situations. Why? Because they're in the presence of their parent, and they can rest And the safety and the provision of their parent. In the same way, we can rest because our shepherd is always with us. Right now, we are in times of adversity. And our Christian forefathers were well acquainted with times of adversity. They lived from cradle to grave under the shadow of the cross. And they understood that pain in this life only ends in heaven. But rest assured, that the same shepherd who led them and who weighed out their trials with incredible precision, he leads us as well, that he does not take us through trials just because he wants to go sightseeing, that he is leading us to green pastures, that everything in heaven and earth is moved and molded, that he may be glorified and that we may find our joy in him. He is our shepherd, and he is our king, and he provides us rest. But not only does he provide us rest, but he protects us. He protects us. I love this idea. He says, though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. If there wasn't so many of us, I would say let's go on a field trip this morning and go behind the church. That's not a valley. It's more of a ravine. But the imagery is the same. And you say, well, how so? Go behind there. There's two things you're going to find. Snakes and holes. The snakes don't scare me. And the holes don't scare me. It's just the fact that I don't know which hole has a snake in it. You know what I'm saying? David, in the same way, when he says, I go through the valley of the shadow of death, it's this imagery that you're going through a valley And there's caves and there's nooks and there's crannies where lions or bears or robbers, all sorts of evil could be. But you don't know where it is. And isn't that anxiety the worst part? But look what David says. He says, I'll walk through the valley of the shadow. Now, if we're going to understand this shadow, we don't need to read Psalm 23. We need to read Psalm 22. A few lines from Psalm 22 says this: Many bulls encompass me, bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, raving and roaring like lions. Dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers surround me. Deliver my life from the sword and from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You see. Psalm 23 is the shadow of death because Psalm 22 already dealt with the problem. It's a valley of the shadow of death because in Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, he has defeated all the enemies of the valley. On the night he was betrayed, he looked at his disciples and he said, the shepherd is about to be struck. And he was. He laid stricken on a cross and he cried out Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the high priests and the scribes circled around him like dogs and bulls taunting and gloating after him. They stripped him of his linens and they gambled for his tunic. Truly he was laid down in the very dust of death. Why? Why? Well he says it in John 10, Others flee. Because they're a hired hand. If you read the Pilgrim's Progress, you'll see Christians about to go through the valley of shadow of death and two men run fleeing from the horrors in the valley. They say, don't go there. There's hobgoblins and demons and all sorts of evil. But our shepherd is the good shepherd that he knows his own and his own know him. And he lays down his life for the sheep that the shepherd has come in and cleared the dogs and the lions and all the evil doers that he has laid down his life and destroyed death itself that death has no sting and grave has no victory that we walk through the valley of the shadow of death as one commentator said it's the shadow of death there is no substantial evil in it it is a valley of the shadow of death. Valleys are deep, dark, and dirty, but valleys are also incredibly fruitful places, and death is full of the fruits of comfort for us, that it is but a walk in this valley, a a pleasant, gentle walk as we walk out of this life and into the next, and it is a walk through the valley. That we will not get lost, but we will arrive at that celestial city on the other side. My friends, if God can protect us from the fear of death, he can, can't he also protect us from the fear of our enemies? David says, I've gone through the valley, and now you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I would encourage you to read the life of David. He was surrounded by bears, lions, giants, something even more scary, father-in-laws. He was surrounded by all kinds of things. And yet, look at what he can say. If God can destroy death that no human being can, then he can protect me in the presence of my enemies. David doesn't deny death and he doesn't deny the presence of the enemies, but he finds rest in the presence of his shepherd. Do we find rest in the presence of our shepherd? That David can say that goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. He's not saying that God is a rich uncle that set up a trust fund for us. He's saying these things follow me because my shepherd is with me. He will provide for us, he will protect us, and he will give us rest. Don't we all need some rest this morning? If he's the good shepherd that provides us rest, how in the world do we enjoy it? Well, first, it's quite simple. We rest in him. Fred Craddock tells a story about a young boy who'd believe anything. They walked up to the boy and they said, The school burnt down, we're not having school for the rest of the week. Woohoo! And he he went off. They saw him again, and they said, "Hey, they're giving out free watermelons at City Hall." Yippee! And he took off running to City Hall. He believed them. They said the president's coming to town tomorrow. He said, "Hooray!" And went home rejoicing. He believed it. But then a preacher came in town and said, "Do you know Jesus Christ loves and cares for you?" And do you know what he did? He believed it. What would our lives look like if we believed it? As I said in the beginning, faith is resting on Christ. Right now, our world is not defined by resting. I cannot turn on the radio without hearing the words COVID 19. I cannot flip on the TV at work without seeing the words COVID 19. I can't get on my phone without saying the words COVID-19. And as I've talked to different people this week, had a conversation with a lady yesterday who had an absolute mental breakdown from the anxiety and the despair. And those are two things we would expect in this situation. But the other two was from boredom and from loneliness. From boredom and from loneliness. These four things put together to make the days incredibly long and our sleep fleeting. And But David could say that as I approach death, as I am surrounded by enemies, I can rest because of our shepherd. Are we finding rest in him this morning? Isaiah says that God will tend his flock like a shepherd that he will gather his lambs in his arm, that he will lead those with young gently. Again, William Plummer says, The more tender, the more helpless, and the more burdened the flock may be, the greater is his compassion. And let me tell you, our God has an infinite amount of compassion on his people today. That when our, the way is hard and our knees are weak and feeble, that our God is gracious and merciful, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, that we can rest because we're carried in the arms of our shepherd. Now last, do we rest in his ways? David says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, these two tools serve a different purpose, and they're very important. As they say in the delta, there's a ditch on both sides of the road. The rod keeps you out of one and the staff keeps you out of the other. The rod was often used for discipline. And we see that God sends challenging providences in our life to discipline us. He says something like this in Deuteronomy 8. He says, look, you've gone through the desert, you hungered a little and I fed you with manna. I tested to know what's in your heart. You walked in the wilderness for 40 years and your shoes didn't wear out and your feet didn't swell. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And he says, I did all these things to test you, to know what was in your heart, that you would know that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord disciplines you. As we look back on our lives, we tend to find green patches in our lives. And we confuse green patches for green pasture. But God's rod keeps us from falling off the road into a ditch where we would be full of loneliness and boredom and despair and anxiety. Now the other way God keeps us out of the ditch is by his staff. And by his staff, this is what he uses to guide us. And as Jesus was departing this world, what did he say to you? He said, I'm not leaving you, but I am sending to you another comforter, a comforter who will reveal me to you, a comforter who will guide you. And let me tell you, we need that guidance today. If you go back in time, when they used to travel the Atlantic on iron ships, they had two compasses. One compass was kept next to the steering wheel, and the other compass was kept on the top of the mast. And they would send a sailor up to check the compass up top. And finally, one passenger said, look, isn't one enough? Why do you need two? And he said, it's very simple. The compass down here is affected by the ship. But the compass above that, up there is above all influence. Our compass is affected by what's going on in the world around us. We need a compass that is above all influence. In this day and age, we need to be spiritual men and women. A spiritual men and women that depend on His Spirit to lead and to guide us today. If the guidance of the Spirit is not there, if we are not seeking Him and His help, we'll fall into the ditch. My friends, that is, the key. that is part of the way that the Lord provides for us rest this morning. Last, I just want to touch on the last verse. He says, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We're going to meet here as long as possible. But there might be a time when you're at your homes, nuzzled up next to your spouse, reading the Bible, praying and worshiping the Lord together. That is a spiritual outpost in these times. If y'all remember back in 1981, you remember when the, uh, the American hostages from Iran came home. What's the first thing they did? Did they get medals? Did they get accolades? Oh no. They hopped off that plane and kissed the dirty ground because they knew where they'd been and it wasn't pleasant. But they knew where they were now. David is looking forward to where he will be. And as we gather in this place, we find rest in worship. This is a spiritual embassy, an outpost on the the frontier, where God provides rest for weary souls. As long as we meet, I pray that we can worship. And if we can't meet, I pray each night and with your family that you are worshiping the Lord, for God uses this worship to give us rest. So in closing, let me just read from John 7, not from Revelation 7. John pens these words to point us to that great green grass to look forward to. John says, Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne is their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe the tears from their eyes. My friends, as we get ready to close in worship and go home for this day, We must not confuse the green patch with the green pasture. That though we may feel like we are in the wilderness today, that our heavenly Father is a shepherd who does not leave us and does not forsake us, and he is guiding us to that great green pasture where we can rest and find refreshment for all the days. So that being said, let us pray and seek our rest in the Lord. Heavenly Father, you have been such a great shepherd in our lives. And now, Father, we look to your rod and your staff to continue to guide us and I pray, Father, that you would take the words of these Psalms that's been precious to us, even from our, many of us from our childhood, that your Spirit would apply them to our heart, that we may find rest in Jesus Christ. For you promised to give the weary, the weary rest. And I pray as we continue to enjoy the rest of the Sabbath day with our family. That this would be a day of refreshing for us, a foretaste of the great rest that we all look forward to. Father, I pray you would continue to provide and protect us. In Christ's name, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you would stand.